This is the North Carolina Food and Beverage Podcast. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and hitting subscribe on your friend's phone without them knowing. Coming to you live from the Zoom closet in the beautiful kitchen studios in downtown Raleigh. This episode is sponsored in part by Spot On, tech that helps your business grow. Request a demo at spoton.com. And Joe Van Gogh Coffee, serving the community from seed to cup, taking particular care at every step to honor the bean. And now, the Chalupa and the Kanish. It's Max Trujillo and Matthew Weiss. Hello, and thank you for listening to the North Carolina Food and Beverage Podcast. I am your co-host, Max Trujillo. And I am your co-host, Matthew Weiss. And today we talk about a show of unity through food. That was not my quote, but a quote of a really awesome writer here in Raleigh named Eric Ginsberg when he was talking about where it takes place, this show of unity through food, prominently in Jufro, which is a awesome restaurant in Richmond, Virginia, and soon will be coming to Raleigh, North Carolina. That's right. Now, here to tell us about it is the uh, terrific trio behind this place. One, Chef Ari Augenbaum, uh, creator and director Trey Owens, and the woman behind them, steering the ship, Nar Havnanian. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for having us. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for uh, so we're doing this virtually uh, for a couple of reasons. One, you're up there. I assume you're all up there in Richmond or in that Richmond area. And uh, not really, not exactly. Some of us are in Richmond. Others of us are in the DMV, the DC area right now. So okay, yeah. but uh, but the beauty are, of Zoom. Some are also laid up, not feeling well too, as we can tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no worries. But um, but we're uh, but we're recording this episode this week as you're listening to it just two days prior to its release. So we're curious. You are you are opening Jufro, uh, but I believe it started with Soul Taco. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Uh, let's let's talk about how you you got this place off the ground. Uh, who'd like to go first? Who should tell the story of how you opened it up? Usually, Trey tells the story the best. I'm just wondering, Trey, are you feeling up to uh, to have to, to taking the lead? I could try my best. <laughs> Trey is experiencing COVID. Are you okay with me saying this on the podcast? I can take it off if you're not, but you're experiencing COVID right now. Yeah, um, that- yeah, it's fine. You could say it. I'm staying home, so I won't be out and about. Okay. So, so yeah. yeah, Trey, tell us the story of how, well, first of all, we should let, let set the scene. Uh, you guys are pretty experienced uh, when it comes to this world of culinary expertise. You guys both have a, all of you have a great background in it. Uh, Ari, you've worked for some celebrity chefs and catering. Uh, Trey, you've worked, I guess, on naval ships. That's pretty cool. We'll get into that later. And then uh, cruise ships. And Nar, you kind of dabbled in in all of it. So, how did you three come together, I guess, yeah, to create Soul Taco to begin with? Many, many moons ago, probably like, what, 13, 14 years ago now, um, I used to work in a restaurant called Ketchup in the National Harbor. I was a server there. Um, and we ended up getting a new management team, and Ari was a part of that team. I was a server. He was the, the manager. It was only for a couple of, probably like two, two three months we worked together. Um, it was my first time being a server there. 
Um, so I just kind of got thrown into the mix. And uh, fortunately enough, I became one of the, the better servers there. Um, and then I ended up just kind of like, you know, moving on and doing some other things. Like you said, I used to work for on a cruise ship, Norwegian Cruise Lines. Um, and then I went from there to working on a military ship. Hmm. Let's say about 11 years later, <laughs> Ari and Nar together um, were looking for a restaurant space in D.C. They were going to do a grilled cheese shop. Uh, and I always say that I ended up becoming a restaurant owner because D.C. streets are confusing. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, where was the I, restaurant ketchup? Uh, it was in the National Harbor um, in Maryland, just okay. across the Potomac. Okay. Um, so Ari went online to look for a restaurant space for his grilled cheese concept that he was going to do with NAR, and he saw an announcement for a restaurant on Second Street. So he's like, "All right, it's DC. Second Street is somewhere, or whatever." And so he looks into it, and he talks to the people who um behind it and he's liking what they're saying and numbers look good so he's like okay so they send him more information included in that is the address he puts it in his gps and is 90 miles away <laughs> and then he thinks like well who do i know in richmond because these numbers still are really great and that's how i came <laughs> into the picture so he hits me up and he's like hey are you ready to do this restaurant thing and i'm like fuck yeah um <laughs> out of the so, blue or like you get like it had been 11 years and you're like oh, who's this oh it's ari i mean you guys honestly, had talked or what pretty much out of the blue i mean we had probably interacted on a couple of posts here and there yeah. but for the most part it was just kind of like it was kind of like out of the blue wow the facebook page was keeping you guys connect connected basically right thanks zuck yeah right <laughs> So, yeah, he hit me up and I was like, absolutely. Um, the people who put the post up were based in D.C. That's why it showed on Craigslist in D.C. Hmm. But of course, the space was down in Richmond. They were like, well, we aren't going to be there, but the owner or the landlord is going to be there. Uh, and I think it was like that coming Thursday. So, of course, I took the day off of work and I walked over to the restaurant because it was only three blocks away from my house. Um, talk about like divine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I went there and I met with the landlord and we talked. And at this point, didn't it, there was no such thing as Soul Taco. It wasn't even a taco shop. Like I said, it originally was going to be a grilled cheese shop in D.C. Um, so I'm just talking to the guy and just really just having a full on conversation. And he's like, well, um, what the people posted is what they want. Um, the amount that they posted is what they want. I'd be willing to do it for $15,000 less. Story gets <laughs> um, better. Yeah. So once he says that, I'm like, oh, shit. Um, so I call uh, Ari and Nar and I'm talking to him. And I'm like, he wants to take $15,000 off the price. Um, and it's probably like a week and a half later that we are signing the lease and we got the keys. Um, huh? And that was July of 2018. Okay. So, when everything was thriving and doing well. Yeah. The, the industry was popping. Last week's episode, we were talking about that with Marcy Cohen Ferris, how when she she just released a book about Edible North Carolina and she interviewed us in 2018. And all we were talking about is we were like so arrogant about it. We were just like, oh, the food culture is so great and people come from all over. This is happening. This is happening. Everything's booming. Little did we know about it. 18 months later, <laughs> everything right. would shut down. So, Reaping up. 
on us. Um, so yeah, um, we ended up signing the lease, uh, and that was July of 2018. And from July until we opened, which was October of the same year, 2018, we came up with the concept, the design, the menu, just everything for Soul Taco. Um, we opened so- October. It was pretty quiet, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking like, oh boy, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. But of course, Nara and her expertise with uh, social media, I mean, she was putting it out there. The page was looking great. She always had content. We were always creating content, putting stuff out there, and um, people started finding us. Um, and then we did um here we have something called richmond black restaurant experience Mm -hmm. that was um in march when we did that the first day of richmond black restaurant experience was the busiest day in the history of soul taco and it was the slowest day of that week (laughs) by that thursday we were in there like oh my god somebody please send help (laughs) what are we gonna do um and um luckily enough you know people kept supporting kept coming Everybody enjoyed it, um, and then we started to get the attention of some pretty big names, um, specifically diners, drive-ins, and dives. Right. Do you say guy or you say gee? <laughs> guy Fieri. They were very specific with us when we filmed on how to pronounce his name. Oh, yeah. We wanted to make sure. Yeah. What did he say? Um, but it, uh, Guy Fieri. Uh, yeah, Fieri. Yeah, yeah, no, he's, he's yeah. like a hardcore Raider fan. Uh, by the way, kudos to the oh, the Vegas Raiders for hiring the first African American female president in the NFL. Yeah, always yeah. on the good side of progress. Always on the cusp. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's why I got my Raiders Damn. shirt on right now. But uh, so want to talk trash about the Raiders, but you can't really. You can't because right they're now. so great. <laughs> so great. Let's see, you still have Derek Carr as your quarterback, so take it easy. <laughs> Championship. Um, Anyhow. So anyway, yeah. So you get some national attention. Guy Fieri comes down and. Uh, and then, but you're already booming with the Richmond Black Restaurant experience, right? So, what happens next? So, well, just I, to put that into perspective, sorry, Trey. When Trey says that we were the busiest we'd ever been, we're talking about our first restaurant was a 12 seat taco shop. Mm. On the first day of uh, Black Restaurant Experience, we did, I think, 250 covers out wow. of our 12 seat restaurant. By the end of the week, we had done, before we started, <clears> we had <throat> joked around about what the perfect day would look like, how many guests. We could accommodate if everything hit on all cylinders and we were ready and everyone ordered the right way and made sure that they only ordered the things we needed them to order, etc. We could do about 275 covers out of that restaurant at its height. Hmm. By the end of the week, we had done 350 on a single day. And we were just, as Trey said, we just looked at each other and we were just like, what the fuck do we do now? (laughs) (laughs) You're cranking. And again... This is out of a 12-seat restaurant. I mean, that's the amount of table turns. It was just absolutely insane. Well, I want to take it back one step further to understand how uh, you, Chef Ari, and Nar know each other. But I can only say that uh, to do that many covers in a day, you need a little (laughs) pick-me-up. Oh, like some Joe Bango coffee? That's what I was thinking. Like what we're drinking right now with the uh, perfectly poured Chemex brewed Joe Vango coffee. That's right. We're drinking Joe Vango coffee, uh, the Joe Vango Leticia Lopez La Unica blend from Honduras. And so uh, this particular coffee, it's a light roast. It's got uh, yellow honey in the processing. 
flavor notes of chocolate, little tangerine, cherry, Earl Grey. Mm-hmm. Very delicious. It's like, dare I say, a summer coffee. Yeah, it's I dare definitely you to say a light it. Right. <laughs> Dare me. Yeah, you've been dared, uh, but it's fantastic. Summer coffee, summer coffee. Get this, get this brew or any of the fantastic Joe Van Gogh coffees wherever you buy your Joe Van Gogh coffee. I suggest you go to JoeVanGogh.com and uh, and shop there. But then you can also check out any of their locations all throughout the Triangle. So visit Joe Van Gogh Coffee. Yeah. Okay, so bringing it back to Soul Taco, you guys are doing 350 covers. It's going crazy. But yeah, I want to know, Nar, you're a little bit about your background because I think uh, you share in common uh, Southern California uh, or you were. I do. Yeah. So born and raised in Orange County, not quite LA, but, you know, we got our claim to fame when the OC came out. Uh, That's right. (laughs) California. So did, you know, went to college there. As soon as I graduated, I was like, I have got to get out because literally born, raised, everything was in Orange County, Um, had done a brief stint in D.C. as a junior in college um, on the Hill, did a Mm. little internship um, and had a blast, you know, as every 21 year old in D.C. does and decided that this was going to be the place that I wanted to move for one year is what I told my family. I was like, I need to get out. I need some freedom. One year is all I need. And um, I'm Armenian. So that is like a huge deal for, you know, there was a lot of years, a lot of drama, you know, over the one year that I was going to move out. Yeah. All Uh, you have to do is watch the Kardashians to know that Armenians are very dramatic. (laughs) Because that's what every Armenian's family is like, I'm surprised right? you're not from Glendale. I'm <laughs> not from Glendale. I'm not. Yeah. yeah. But you had family there. Uh, yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> right. But so moved to D.C., um, got into event production because and marketing. Um, eventually, about five years later, was still in D.C., met a, my former business partner, um, who's actually our current designer of all things. She designs our restaurants. She does all of our logos and, and all graphics and things like that. Um, and so she and I met. We started an event production firm, um, ran that for about 12 years, um, started doing weddings, and then moved on to very large fundraisers, galas, conferences, all of that stuff, um, and festivals. Uh, and really only knew the hospitality industry from that end um, when I met Ari. And when we met, I was at the point where I was done renting in D.C. and I really wanted to uh, buy a house. But I don't know if you guys are familiar with real estate pricing in D.C. It's astronomical through the roof, like worse than California. Um, so I was looking at these prices and was like, I can't afford anything that I personally want to live in. Um, and so he and I, he had started doing some investment properties with a couple of other business partners and he was flipping houses. And I was like, this is Ari was Ari was. Yeah. Okay. But you guys met because he was a chef at one of your catering gigs or no, we just met in the DC area, um, just through people, but it ended up, you know, we just, connected on business. He was telling me about the houses that he was flipping at the time. I was like, that sounds good. He was turning around, you know, $30,000 on properties that he was flipping in the Maryland area. And I was like, I, I can, can say this because I'm, I'm Jewish. So, you know, yeah, he has a good head for numbers and real right, estate. Exactly. Yeah. And that's really, <laughs> honestly the reason why I went into business with him so randomly. I, I was like, listen, I have already noticed in the past <clears throat> three months that we've been hanging out, hanging out that he's not going to fuck with his money. 
Mm. So if I put my money with his money, he won't fuck with our money. <laughs> so Matt, he, I'm still waiting for the the good with numbers part of your Jewish side to come out for, for our business. <laughs> oh, you mean like when I saved us almost $16,000 on our taxes? Like that part? Okay. It's funny because Narf says the same thing to me. She's like, <laughs> why am I doing payroll? Why am I doing all right. the uh, financing? Mm -hmm. Aren't you supposed to be doing all this stuff? So true. So true. But yeah, so we bought a couple of investment properties together in D.C., um, very small ones, flipped those, decided that we wanted to rent them out. Um, we actually uh, started a real estate company um, on a very small scale where we essentially um, bought dilapidated houses in the city, um, made them really nice and beautiful, put them up for Section 8 housing um, with the thought that if you give people who um, generally don't have access to great um, places to live um, and circumstances, then that might be some sort of motivation for them to kind of make improvements in other areas of their lives. Um, they feel better coming home at night, um, yeah. things like that. So, so no, all that sounds fantastic. It sounds yeah. like you guys were on route to become political activists, real estate tycoons. Why the hell would you go back into the real to the restaurant business? Seemed like a good idea at the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, oh. Yeah. So, but let's, let's get into the concept. So you open up sold taco. That's where I guess the first blending of your cultures started to reside. Is that fair to say? Is that like what we're saying? Because, because snapping to the forward Jufro is what you're bringing out here, which is a blend. I'm trying to actually read it exactly how you've written it, but it is, a, it's African and Jewish blended cuisine. Is that Fair That's to say? Accurate. Well, we're actually bringing both out there. Um, we're opening Soul Taco in the next like week and a half in Raleigh, and then right. immediately thereafter, um, Jufro will come in. But yeah, I mean, Fusion is kind of our game. Um, Soul Taco is still an absolute mystery in terms of who came up with it, how we even decided to do it. I know the taco part was me because that's just like pretty obvious, but every other part of it, no clue. We, there is literally no recollection. <laughs> Jufro, the idea of is much more clear. Um, and Trey definitely came up with that idea. And I will let him tell that part of the story because he tells it best. So, yeah, well, just to kind of cover with, with Soul Taco, Soul Taco still represents us because it's American in its inception, of course. Nar being from California, she has the, you know, the whole bright the avocado, all of that. And of course, Ari being a chef here in North America, there's a lot of like um, Latin American influences and things like that. So we put it all together. Um, but what we were doing was, um, let's see. During the time that we were shooting Diners, Drivers, and Dives, we were actually opening our second location. So that was crazy in and of itself. And then once that all kind of happened, we were, you know, chugging along as normal. Then uh, uh, comes the Richmond Black Restaurant Experience again the next year. Mm. Of course, that is the year of 2020. It happens in March. Mm. <laughs> you, get what, you see where I'm going with this, yeah, right? Yeah, a lot of other things <laughs> happen in March. Or nothing happened in March, essentially. Right. First so half the March, very yeah. The very last day of Richmond Black Restaurant Experience, they announced shutdowns for COVID. And so we go from having all of this product on hand and, and so much stuff to nothing. Like 90% of our business is just completely gone. Yeah. So, of course, we're thinking outside the box. We turned the, the restaurant into a market at one point. We're doing digital cooking. We're packing people food. You come and get it, cook it at home with us on Instagram, just doing everything. I made a friend in Richmond 
whose family owns hotels and he owns a couple of restaurant spaces, one of which was closed down due to COVID. And we were like, hey, let's do a kitchen takeover in your space. So he allowed us to do that. And while we were there, the restaurant downstairs was just sitting empty. It was called Bell. Uh, around this time, you know, Christmas time is coming up and we're like, we should do a Christmas pop-up. From Halloween until just after New Year's, we did a Christmas pop-up called Jingle Bell. A holiday um, Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it was a holiday pop-up. It was nice. a woke holiday. We celebrated uh, Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa. <laughs> <laughs> Toward the end of it, I was just like, man, uh, I want to keep doing this because, you know, Christmas is my favorite holiday. That time of the year is always a super fun time for me. And I was actually enjoying the pop-up. With, in my mind, around this time, uh, I believe Nick Cannon had made some comments people didn't take well to. Um, and I didn't particularly like the way that, I didn't really like the response to it because rather than using it as a teachable moment to talk about Jewish and African relations, it was just like, well, let's just take them off TV, take, get rid of while and out. Let's get rid of all of it. Um, Not to be all controversial, but what did, what did, yeah, I don't what did remember he say? What he I don't understand. Um, and well, he was on a podcast and, um, he said that he believed that he was the real Jew and the people who said that they are Jews are not. Um, and so that just obviously wasn't a popular thing. But I'm just like, you know, if he's saying he's a Jew and these other people are Jews, then how are we running with it being anti-Semitic and not an opportunity to talk? You know? I, I, yeah, I kind of remember. Like, was like, he? Is he like a Jew for Jesus, or is he? I don't. Like, where did that come from? Um, not, I, you know, I think you'd have to ask Nick Cannon that. Yeah, I don't ha- actually, that's funny. We're having him on next yeah. week. He's actually no, he's coming in say, right now. This get is him like Maury Povich. <laughs> and now Nick Cannon. And rather oh than it. using it at, using it as an opportunity to kind of talk and to get the conversation going around it, and actually for both sides to learn things, that didn't really happen. They just kind of took while and out. Well, took him off TV. Took while and out. Well, tried to take while and out from him. Um, and it, it, for me, it just looked like, you know, another black man just losing everything because of something that he said, um, right. which it, 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 I don't, you know, it, it just didn't work for me. So I, with that in my head, um, I'm thinking like, what can we do? And then it, it was like a, that's so Raven moment. It just really just popped in my head and it was like, we should do a African and Jewish pop-up. Hmm. Yeah. And then I'm just like, I'm like, well, what, what would we call it? What would we call it? When I said the the African and Jewish pop up, Ari immediately was like, yes. Um, and Nara, I don't, <laughs> Nara didn't really say anything. And then I was like, well, what would we call it? And then I was like, Jufro. She did not say anything. She said, absolutely not. This sounds terrible. I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're can, downplaying that. Trey. I can see being in a in a room, a, a brainstorm room, where someone says. Wait a minute. <laughs> Hear me out. <laughs> Jewish African pop-up. Let's call it Jufro. And oh, everyone laughs. And then it. they go, okay, but for real, let, what are we really doing? Yeah. As yeah, soon yeah. as Trey said it, I was like, I love this idea. This is amazing. We have to do this. And I was like, sounds terrible. We're not doing that. And so in true democratic fashion, everything we do, we take a vote. And, you know, you don't always uh, come out on the, the winning side. But as soon as the vote passes, that's that. We got three owners. We got three votes. There's always a winner. That's simple. Yeah. So, and Nard um, jumped on board completely as soon as uh, she was outvoted. She jumped on board completely. Was there ever a point where Nar was okay if you called it Jufronian? 
<laughs> I mean, thank you. It for was you. more for How did we me. come up with that. Mm. No, it was more for me the problem of the possible PR nightmare that I was going to have to deal with when yeah. we realized that we called our restaurant Jufro and living in DC for 15 years. Um, you're very keen to, you know, those things um, and how they don't work out well for a bunch of people all the time. So, <laughs> well, I, I think you only could call it Jufro if you were black and Jewish. And yeah, Jewish. right. Yeah. Exactly. And so, but the fact that we literally had to explain to people at every single point, like, that was the part that made me nervous. I was like, sure, after I explain it to you, you're going to be totally fine with it. But we yeah. used to remember, like, we were in this, like, height of cancel culture where people yeah. were not talking. Um, and which, you know, that's kind of how the concept came about. Um, that was but I, was, I, I didn't, I guess I didn't have enough faith in humanity. And to be quite honest, I should have had a little bit more faith um, because it's been great. And really, we've had a couple of complaints. Uh, but aside from that, like, most people get a kick from, out. From who? Like, well, who's complaining one, about it? I had one lady call and she was very nice about it. She was clearly Jewish. And she was like, I want you guys to succeed. I really do. Uh, but I find your name disgusting. And <laughs> I think that you should really think twice about it. And kind of like, I mean, she was clearly like a middle-aged woman. And I felt, kind of felt like my mom was reprimanding me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it was a very random phone call. But at the end of it, she was like, I, I want you guys to succeed. But I need you to understand that I hate this name. And I, I find it awful. Like well, I, could, I could see how it's salacious. From, yeah. Initially, you hear it and you're like, oh, that's calling. But there's nothing like there's no negative connotation there at all. Well, exactly. the joke is, and like the the nice part is that you're like connecting the cultures through a hairstyle, yeah, effectively, uh, which it becomes so culturally connectable, right? Like, yeah. And as many Jews growing up were always like, "Oh yeah, man, I've got like the the, the curly kinky hair," to which then African Americans are like, "Yeah, I feel you. Like, we got this. It's our it's our connection. Right. So why not yeah. call it that? And it's right. it's beautiful. Like it's 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 like it was sitting right there all along. Like once I was aware of the name and that you all were coming out to Raleigh. Like I looked at my wife and I was like, Oh, that's awesome. And makes sense immediately. And yeah. I got it. Like it all snapped into focus. Yeah. Uh, of which Matt and I, we were at, um, we were at the resort. We were at high point or what's it called? Um, high Hampton. We were at high Hampton vacationing with our wives. And we, we were not this, vacationing. We were, we were working. working, but it, it, was a, it was a vacation. <laughs> Uh, we were working, but, uh, was vacationing. but we were, I was scrolling through Instagram in bed in the morning and I saw Eric Ginsburg's uh, post about this and I said, Oh, Jufro, they're from Richmond. They're coming to Raleigh. That's interesting. We should have them on the podcast. I text Matt and he's like, oh, they're already on the show. <laughs> and I went, what? And he's like, I've already contacted them. And I'm like, of course you did. He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, did you guys discuss this at the the local Jewish meetings that you have or so? Like, how the did this... secret. Yeah. Like he was already on it, but, um, but yeah, you're because what we'll tell them about the meetings. Those are private between us. Yeah. <laughs> I think Max did. He was checking well, out my Instagram page. I'm 14% and he found it out Jewish. To, yeah. So I go to one meeting. <laughs> a year that's what i get <laughs> you can come to half a meeting as well for that last four percent we'll round that up to five percent it's there 14 it's 14 percent. yeah 14 i know well you got one meeting and then the other five percent you know we'll allow you Max. my math that makes thing? sense quiet it's okay <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah, trust the guy um exactly <laughs> okay so so uh we did the the pop-up of course um uh and toward the end of the pop-up we're like 
um, I wanted it to be, of course, a restaurant. I wanted it to be a full thing. At the time, Ari was on board for it to be a pop-up. Mm. By the end of the pop-up, NAR is like, okay, no, this could be a thing. So, yeah. of course, back to that two-thirds vote, <laughs> NAR and I are now on the same page as far as doing it permanently. Um, so, it Ari, what was a- your, what, you didn't think you, why did you not think this could be more than a pop-up? So there are a few pieces here that I think uh, Trey might have glossed over a little bit. The political aspirations of the pop-up. So very often uh, we get calls uh, by local media. They, they like to do, you know, anytime there's a story about literally anything, they like to get local business owners' takes on it. You know, exactly. there's a, a gun rally marching on the Capitol. What do local business owners think? The election, what do local business owners think? And Trey always had the greatest line, in, in my opinion. Uh, he would always say the same thing. He would always say, tacos don't have power. Hmm. You know, if we have a problem and they break our window, we'll just be we'll now have a takeout window. We'll just sling tacos through the broken glass. It's going to be great. But tacos don't have politics as a company. We don't have an opinion, especially with everything that was going on. It's very clear that all of us have opinions, but the company does not. Uh, And so when the opportunity for the uh, pop up space came available, that was our opportunity to say, you know what? Soul Taco doesn't have an opinion. But we can share our opinions through the restaurants and through food without Soul Taco having an opinion. Mm. And it started with Jingle Bell, the woke holiday concept. And the our opinion is overall that cancel culture is bad and conversation is good. And so the woke holiday concept, which was a Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa combined uh, through an interactive dining experience, the the general idea was the only time of year where you're really forced to sit down with people that vehemently disagree with you on most of the political spectrum are the holidays. <laughs> Everybody's got, you know, yeah. a cousin from somewhere or a grandmother from somewhere else. And, and that's where most fights, in my opinion, uh, internal in the family tend to spark from is being forced to sit down at the table over the holidays. And so we wanted to do this as a, as a way to bring people together at the one time of year where you can't just, you know, block them from Facebook or cancel people and things like that. You have no choice but to sit down and talk with them. And so, so does then every when seat at Jufro come with like an Uncle Jim that just sits down at the table with you? <laughs> we <laughs> had like... that at uh yeah, well that was I mean, that was basically the idea. And so when we moved into the pop up and then we had the ability to use the space again and do a second round, and that's when Jufro actually the idea of Jufro was actually came up first, but the idea of doing the woke holiday concept. Uh, ended up being executed first and then we went back to i mean we've got like 20 different ideas that we've talked about through the years of different restaurants and concepts that we want to do at some point and so jufro became number two and i loved it as a pop-up as a small brief period where we could do something make make our statement put some delicious food out create an experience that people haven't seen before and and that's it in my opinion when it comes to a business like it has to have legs it has to have replicability it has to have uh expansion opportunities and the way that i saw jufro as we were halfway through the pop-up uh and started talking about whether or not it was going to have any legs i saw it as we were extremely busy the pop-up we were sold out almost every day lunch was out the door i mean it was crazy but i didn't see this as something that was replicable with the soul taco brand you know it's something that we believe that could be put into almost any city any location and it can do well. You know, it can do well in D.C. It can do well in Missouri. It's going to be great. But Jufro is a very specific concept that really only works in certain places with uh, certain markets. And so, you know, 
I've always worked with this, you know, the 80, 20 rule where 80% of your time is spent doing 20% of your work and 20% of your time knocks out 80% of it. And I felt that doing something like Jufro, we were going to end up spending most of our time putting out this, you know, elaborate concept with dishes and, and cuisines that people have never heard of from even from countries people have never heard of. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, in a moment, but we, you know, I really was concerned that this is not a concept that could grow and we would end up spending a lot of our time putting out everything in one restaurant as we continue to expand the Soul Taco brand, which we, you know, which we believe can have an infinite number of locations across the country. And we're going to get bogged down spending all of our time working on this concept that really can, doesn't have as much expandability in my opinion. And so I voted against it and Nar and Trey were like, no, 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 you're wrong. This is going to be great. And as it turns out, I was wrong and I'm happy I was wrong. Uh, yeah, be- but, and I think Nar will say the same thing. She was wrong about the pop-up and she's happy she was wrong. And, and there's one thing I can say. I was right the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Trey, you're on the right side. Well, you have something that we, uh, you know, to open a restaurant that we uh, like to call chutzpah, you know, it takes a lot of gumption and guile, essentially, to uh, yeah, open a controversial name. But uh, but it it obviously did work because you're coming to Raleigh. You're opening up a second location. So yeah, um, I want to talk about the food. I mean, this yeah, is I like, want to talk about the food. This is the whole and then, idea of the concept is a cool concept, but it it only is cool if you could execute. Yeah, the, if the food blend. sucks, and you go there, and it's like yeah, then the whole the whole story kind of loses its legs. Like cool name, bro, but also where's the food, right? (laughs) Deliver. People ask us all the time in the restaurant, you know, what's good? What's good? Is this one good? Is this one good? Uh, Both at Soul Taco and at Jufro. And my answer is always the same. Like we wrote the menu, we wrote the recipes. If I didn't think it was good, it wouldn't be on my menu. I don't believe in restaurants where you go there and they have like, yeah, the burger's not that great. Well, then Mm. why do you have a burger on your menu if you don't think it's great? There's no requirement to put a burger on your menu. If you don't make a good burger, then just don't serve a burger. And there are plenty of things that we don't make well, and therefore you will never see them on our menu until we figure out how to make them properly. So what do you do well? Naturally, everything we serve. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, give me me some. I'm I'm leading you to tell me a little bit about your food. What do you guys do? What's something that is a great example of what you do? I'll do the lead in and then I'll let Ari talk about the food because obviously he's the chef. Um, but so with the whole idea behind Jufro and everybody, you know, it, it being cancel culture, the way that we could navigate around this is what we're going to do is we're going to actually honor both of these culinary pathways. We're going to honor um, where this food is originating from. And so on our menu, you'll find a glossary on the back that'll define the terms. It'll tell you what countries or what regions these um, certain things come from so that you have a little bit more information um, with the thought that if when you're in the restaurant, you at least Google one thing, you know, if it drives you to look into more then we've done our job. Because uh, initially the name is to kind of get people like, you know, a little upset and then look into it and say, OK, well, what are these guys doing? And then once they see it, see that we're doing it authentically um, and then they'd be interested to come in, try it for the familiar, get exposed to the unfamiliar and then want to know more. Um, and so that's the way that we've approached it. And then Ari can tell you all about the food. NAR can, too, because um, NAR's Middle Eastern. Um, and so she's making like her grandma's recipes and stuff in the restaurant. So 
I'm quiet. Yeah, thank you. Like Trey said, one of the most important elements to us was, you know, Nar hates it when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, one of the things that when I was, when I grew up, one of the things that we were told was the path to a racially equal future is colorblind. And you guys may have heard this when you were younger. This was a big thing when I was a kid. You know, we don't see race. We don't see color. None of that. So over the last who knows how many years, it became one of those. I don't know who told all the white people that we want colorblind. Colorblind is not the move. The it's right answer is all. to understand and respect the history and the culture of each individual, uh, each individual. And then knowing that come together for an equal future. And so that was part of the, the story that we wanted to tell with the food. And one of the most prominent examples that I like to use is our, our jollof couscous. It is very clearly jollof rice. It is very clearly Israeli couscous. And we've created a new dish of jollof couscous that pays homage and respect to the history of both cultures and both dishes and creates a new dish that is both of those together. And that was extremely important for us to put uh, to ensure that we had that level of, uh, of intricacy in the dishes, that it didn't just become this uh, amalgamation, almost whitewashed, um, you know, just blend of random things then and just say, hey, look, well, there's an African component in here, here's a Jewish component, and now it's both. Like, no, we wanted it to be very clear that this is from Nigeria, this is from uh, Ghana, this is from uh, Eastern Germanic Jew Jewry, this piece is clearly from a Sephardic Spanish Jewry. And we wanted it to be very clearly paying homage to the history and respect and not go with that old, uh, the old mindset that, like I was saying, that we, that I was raised with, that was, you know, just the wrong way to go, to, to put it simple, you know, and, and that was something that we really wanted to uh, bring out with the food. And when we started putting together, you know, our first round of menu proposals, if NAR, if you remember correctly, what do we have, like 90 something dishes on there? Oh um and we wanted to pay homage in history to the history and respect the cultures. But more than anything, what we started to find was that there were so many more similarities in the dishes and the cuisines than we had initially anticipated. And what we found was even the dishes that had absolutely no connection had flavor profiles that would balance well together. And so we were able to start putting together these dishes that worked well together and had elements of both sides and during the day we operate as a uh, a modern jewish deli with uh, african flavors and everything is made from scratch in-house we bake our own breads we cure our own meats and some of these dishes like our preserved lemons take 30 days to preserve our corned beef takes about 12 days to brine and then desalinate and then cook and so some of these dishes are to get it to your plate takes you know, sometimes over a month, sometimes, you know, a lot of these issues take 15 to 20 days, some of them over a month just to get it to your plate. And then at dinner, we become more of an upscale casual restaurant and with a heavy focus on these amazing cocktails from our mixologist that we brought in. Um, and each piece tells its own story. As Trey was saying, we want you to leave here, you know, going, hey, I need to look that up. I need to Google that. I need to do a little bit more research. And, you know, the names of the cocktails really do a lot of that. They, they just hint at a little bit of a story, whether it be on the Jewish side or the African side. Uh, for example, uh, Trey named the first wave of cocktails. We have the Oshun's Potion, which is one of our most popular cocktails. And that talks, uh, Trey, you want to tell a little bit more about Oshun? Um, yeah, so Oshun is a... Um, uh, <laughs> 
Nigerian goddess. Um, she typically lives in the waterways. Um, the story of Oshun, um, she is actually like the goddess of fertility, of war, of so many things. Um, but one of the stories of her is she followed the ships that left Africa to the new world to keep her people safe. Um, and so I wanted to make that drink because we're down in Chaco Bottom and in Chaco Bottom, probably like 75% of all enslaved Africans kind of moved through that area. Um, so I wanted to pay respects to Oshun um, by naming that drink after her um, and, you know, sparking some interest in, in, in the public to kind of find out more about Oshun and what these um, enslaved Africans believed um, prior to arriving to this new world. And then on the Jewish side, on the Jewish side, Trey named the other drink the Elijah's Ascension. If you remember the uh, the old biblical stories, Elijah the prophet was one of the uh, one of the only people in the Old Testament that never died. Instead, he was ascended to heaven. And so we use Elijah Craig, which is usually a lower to low mid tier uh, spirit, and we elevate that by uh, basically washing it in schmaltz or, or fat, and then uh, we do a cigar syrup. We smoke it at the table, uh, and so we've elevated. Elijah's ascension to a place far beyond what it would normally be. And so the, it was a lot of thought and history that went into the naming some things as simple as just naming the cocktails. Um, you know, a lot of thought and history went into these to do exactly what Trey was saying is get people to say, Hey, wait, what is that? Uh, the drink is delicious, but tell me more about this name. Let me yeah. Google that. Let me look that up. Let me learn more about the history. But like then you're Trey physically manifesting it, like with smoking at the table with the Ascension. That's that's brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, and, <laughs> and like Trey said, you know, Shaco Bottom was the by square footage, the second largest slave port in the country or slave market. And by uh, by sheer volume, it was the largest. And so opening this restaurant in Shaco Bottom and paying history to things that happened in you know and specifically in this particular part of town in this particular part of the country and paying attention and paying homage to those and not doing what we like to do which is you know act like our negative history never happened but these are things that are important and integral to to determining who we are today and understanding and respecting and 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 you know and and not just glossing over these negative parts of our history it's, it's really important that we you know, highlight some of these things so that people know what came before so that we don't repeat the mistakes of the past and so that we can move forward in a positive light. But then getting back to the food. So, you know, at lunch, like I said, we're actually in the middle of revamping our lunch menu. Right now, our menu is primarily like classic sandwiches, everything made from scratch in-house. So we do like a house-cured pastrami, and then we make a uh, grain mustard with uh, Tej. Tej is an Ethiopian mulled wine. So it's kind of like a play on a beer mustard slash honey mustard. And so we, you know, we make the sandwich that we use Raz al Hanut in our slaw, which is an Egyptian spice blend. And so you've got these Egyptian flavors, these Ethiopian flavors, bringing it into a classic pastrami on rye. Uh, and now the new menu that we're working on is going to have some more uh, modern takes on things. So one of the dishes that we were just experimenting with on, uh, uh, this past weekend, which Nar just posted a TikTok reel that did pretty well. What did we get? Like 5,000 views in the first 30 minutes, something like that. Uh, and so we created, we called it the Jubin. 
and it was a press sandwich with a uh, corned leg of lamb, uh, braised zigni brisket, which is an Eritrean uh, stew, essentially. And so we use the same flavor profiles in making our brisket. Uh, our house-made pickles, our tej mustard, and some cheese. And then we press it like a classic Cuban sandwich. And we, you know, we're working on creating this new uh, sandwich menu that really goes into all of these different elements and, and kind of brings some of more of the uh, modern American vibe into some of the sandwiches and bringing some things that people are maybe a little bit more familiar with. When it comes to the dinner menu, we really wanted to take classic African and Jewish dishes, not just elevate them. And, and this is one of the things we talked about a lot is African food in the U.S. is pretty really just completely underrepresented. There are very few yeah. large-scale African restaurants. Um, other than Ethiopian restaurants, you don't see that many African restaurants in general, especially not in Richmond, but even in the U.S. as a whole. And so we had the opportunity to work with a lot of dishes and a lot of flavors and a lot of cultures that most American palates have never seen before. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to make sure that we weren't just doing the few dishes that everyone knows. I mean, everybody knows Agusi, everybody knows Fufu. We wanted to be like, hey, look, that's not what we're doing here. We're not just going to do fufu and call it African. And so you'll actually notice that that is noticeably missing from our menu. Uh, we wanted to bring a lot of these lesser known dishes that are absolutely fantastic that people have just never seen before and bring them out. Uh, same goes for the Jewish side of things. You know, we have this diasporatic nature of the Jewish people and our food has followed suit, taking our classic Jewish dishes and using local ingredients from wherever the the jewish people have found themselves and try to work them within the the culture and the history and and the religion and a lot of the jewish dishes come a lot more from religion not by way of religious dishes but because of the cooking methods that we have to use to you know have hot food on sabbath when you can't cook but still you're living in eastern europe where it gets pretty frigid in the middle of the winter. And so in the middle of the day on Saturday, you need a hot stew. And so how we created these dishes that pay homage and respect to the history of these, of these styles. Um, and so that dish, you know, a uh, classic cholent, which is basically a potato bean and barley stew with meat. And so during the winter, it's not on our summer menu, but in the winter we had a South African potishkas, which is basically a one pot stew from South Africa. And we combined that with a cholent and created a deconstructed cholent that had uh, fried potatoes, a three bean confit, and braised short rib. And so it kind of had the elements of the South African dish along with the core and history of the Jewish dish on the cholent side. We did an ifo riro, which is traditionally a spinach soup, if you will. Uh, And so we did more of a stew more of a stew, uh, very similar to almost like a bouillabaisse. base. And so what we did was it was jumbo prawns, lobster, a seafood base to it with uh, shrimp. And then we put kishka in there mm. and mushroom, you know, to create this Jewish African fusion on this dish where it very clearly had all of the elements put together. Well, Ari, I want to jump in. And I want to ask you a question. So with Jufro not being your initial idea and your, your what even brought the three of you together you were originally making tacos. You clearly have a great respect for your culture, both yours and the African-American culture. Was this like something that was going to happen all along? Like you're pulling together some really great, both like ancient and current 
culinary techniques coming from both of these cultures, but that didn't seem like it almost sounded like you fell into this Jufro concept kind of by accident. But oh, by the way, now I'm completely prepared to do this and and know how to do all this food. Like, how did you get to the point where you were like, yeah, I know this is how we're going to build this menu through all this culture and all? Uh, yes, no, and somewhere in between. So when I was younger, I used to do kosher catering. And one of the biggest things that I did with my kosher catering was I really did not like that almost all the kosher caterers in the D.C. area were serving traditional Jewish food. I was like, I wouldn't want this at my wedding. You want an elevated palate. You want elevated stuff at your wedding, at your special events. That why, you know, why do all the kosher caterers keep defaulting to these kosher dishes or to these classic Jewish dishes when you can do a lot of things kosher? And so I started back then elevating some of these classic kosher dishes to create a more modern take on on what classic Jewish food could be. And then I kind of moved away from it because it's, you know, like anything else, it's what I grew up eating. And some, for some people, what they grew up eating is what they love. And that's what they want to eat all the time, because that's what, you know, your mom made you when you were sick, etc. For me, it was kind of the opposite. It was like, I ate this all the time and I'm over it. I never want to see if I never see a gefilte fish again in my life, I'm happy. And so when we started putting together this, these menus, I mean, there was a lot, a lot of research that went into it. Um, but, you know, the gefilte fish, for example, what we do is an escalar crudo uh, with pickled carrots, pickled Brussels sprouts, roasted beets, and a horseradish foam. So you get all of the elements that would be in a classic gefilte fish minus the weird gelatinous fish blend thing that is the actual gefilte fish itself. Yeah. Um, what do you use? Do you use pike or what do you use for that? Like, is there an actual seafood component to it? So right now we've been using escalar. We have oh, used rockfish right. in the past. We have used monkfish and we have also used rockfish. Uh, and we have also used wahoo, but I try to do escalar. Nar hates it when I use escalar. I don't know why, but she just hates escalar. Because my if you favorite, eat so. more than eight ounces of it, you poop your pants. Yeah. This is true, but who's eating? It's a crudo. We don't give you more than eight ounces. Slow down on that Escalar. Don't go back for seconds. <laughs> I love that. It's so good, though. Uh, <laughs> Way to just desell that, Max. Good job. Yeah. Um, now people won't go back for a second that. one. That's <laughs> chef Frank used to always tell us that he was mis- our chef back in, in Los Angeles was like, I love Escalar, but man, don't, uh, don't go back for seconds. Like, he always cut them into six ounce portions. He's like, cause eight is too much for your body to digest. Huh? True. But, uh, true. but the thing I love about your menu uh, and, and everyone can go to, um, Jufro restaurant.com to check out both just the visuals. It's really, it's really beautiful. It's branded really well it's all put together really well but what i love the most about your menu is on the very bottom of your food menu there is a glossary and you have all of the food terms from kreplak manischewitz peri peri uh i'm probably not saying some of these words right zingy zingy shambo yeah and it's it just explains what a lot of these things are and that's that's great i mean you're you're educating while also providing the full experience and that's that's what i like if you're gonna do this then go all out and really learn what you're doing and and provide kind of like a an education to your guests yeah uh, it's interesting it. because uh tacos might not have opinions but i guess uh a pastrami cuban definitely does have some opinions <laughs> <laughs> or jubin so Sorry. A Juban. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah, I mean, talking about Soul Taco, you know, we talked about how none of us really remember exactly where it came from. Uh, you know, obviously the soul food component of it came from Trey. 
and the uh, tacos in the California style of uh, cooking, the bright, bold colors and flavors. Those are an homage to, uh, to Nars history uh, and where she came from. And, you know, we wanted to spend a little time talking about Soul Taco because we are opening our Soul Taco Raleigh in about a week from now. Yeah, um, right. And so you got a little delay. Dishes, is that correct? There's a little delay in the opening. You know, crazy story, crazy story. Our chef, uh, Chef Katie, uh, Chef Katie Carrington, who uh, we worked with me and Trey at Ketchup years and years ago, uh, she actually was living in Knoxville, and we moved her from Knoxville to Raleigh with the anticipation that we were opening months ago. <clears throat> so we started doing some ghost kitchens out of there just to, you know, pay her salary in the meantime. And so she was sitting in the restaurant a couple weeks ago, just, you know, staring out the window, doing what she does in between orders. And this guy just walks up to the window, stops, looks at her, reaches into his bag and picks up a brick and throws it through the window. And so little history on Katie. Katie is maybe 85 pounds, like four foot eight, (laughs) but she's also a bounty hunter, a licensed bounty hunter. Whoa. Uh, and so she calls me and she's freaking out. She's like, a brick just went through the window. I don't know what to do. I was like, lock the door, go to the bar next door and let the bouncers keep you safe. She's like, absolutely not. I got this. And I was like, Katie, what do you mean you got this? She's like, don't worry. I got this. And she <laughs> chased the guy down and, uh, and made sure that he was still there when the police arrived. Uh, turns out he smashed up a couple of windows on the block, not just ours, that he had come and brought bricks with him with the intention of just causing mischief and mayhem. And he broke in, he smashed up the windows at the uh, pharmacy next door, whatever. But she went and she just went full bounty hunter mode and was like, I got this. It's like, dude, go I need Katie. lock the door yeah. and go somewhere else. And she's like, no, 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 no. And if you see her, you just look at her and you're like, you're a bounty hunter. Like, again, she's like 85 pounds and four <laughs> foot eight. And she's just a total badass. Moral and of the story, just- <laughs> don't mess with Katie. Yeah. Great things come in small packages. Wow. Um, Soul Taco and the uh, next iteration of Jufro, they're going to be up by Good Nights. Is that right? The comedy club? Yes. Yes. Just a couple doors down from the comedy club. Cool. Uh, this uh, this the comedy club closed, didn't it? Good Nights? Yeah. Good Nights is, is, is moving. They're, they're, they're moving yeah. locations. They're, yeah, they're so redoing that whole area. So I'm, I'm excited to see what's going to happen over there. Yeah, cool. This is uh, yeah. You're gonna see uh, Elizabeth all the time because that's like literally where she lives. It's right around the corner from Trophy and down the street. Like, yeah, it's it's a really yeah, cool not far spot. from Y Hill and yeah. all that area. Um, and and they're gonna be in the same building essentially, right? Yes. So it's one large restaurant with multiple entrances. It was um, the old Remedy Diner, if you all are familiar, at right. 926 West Morgan. Um, and so we took a one look at the kitchen and we were like, we can definitely run multiple concepts out of here. Um, so it's got a really large kitchen in there and a nice wraparound building. So we basically slapped a wall in between, um, one entrance will be Jufro. The other entrance will be soul taco. Um, and, uh, it'll be a fun, fun project <laughs> when yeah. both of them are sounds like awesome that wall is what delayed our opening we planned to open last year but you know the permitting process is really what held us up the most was getting permits to build this wall in the center of our dining room and now Mm. that it's finally up the space just looks absolutely fantastic i have a video of nar building the bar with a pair of tweezers one piece at a time and it's absolutely amazing the amount of work that uh that nar i mean that everyone put in but specifically that nar put in to uh to build this out 
uh, and the design work by Sugar Taylor and, you know, and, and all everything that went into it. But I mean, it's just it, the, the space has turned out to be absolutely beautiful on the Soltanko side. We haven't finished building the Chufro side. That's going to open probably two months after Soltanko gets up and running. Nice. Well, I'm, for one, obviously, I'm very excited yeah. for you coming to Raleigh. Uh, and I can help you with the African part of your wine list, but uh, I don't have any Israeli wines, unfortunately. So we'll have to figure something else That's out there. But answer. That's everyone's answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so, so Soul Taco opened on the 20th, and you said about two months later, we can expect Jufro to come. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is, this is great. This is, I love your, uh, not only your attention to detail, but your intention and what you're doing. Like you find this, um, it's not even a political commentary. It's just a a human commentary and weave it into these stories that then nourish people. What a, what, what a great story that you guys have, have done. So, uh, Max, you said it, JufroRestaurant.com. Mm-hmm. How do we find Soul Taco? SoulTacoRVA.com. SoulTacoRVA.com. You guys are on Instagram, TikTok, sure, Facebook, All the fun obviously. Stuff's on our Instagram. Thanks, Zuck. All again. the fun stuff's on the Instagram. You got to check the out the stuff. Instagram. Yeah. 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 That's where all the cool stuff is. <laughs> yeah, cool. I'm excited. I can't wait to get out there. We're going to, we'll both have to, let's go take our ladies. Let's go do that. Yeah. And, and real quick, I know you already said this, but so like daytime is more like sandwiches, kind of like light, casual fare. And then at night, it turns into a little bit more kind of upscale sit down dinner. Is that what we're expecting? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Sounds well, cool. Yeah. Uh, I know you got to get out of here for a daddy, a special daddy day, and uh, Trey, you got to go recover and get healthy. Yeah. And Nar, uh, I guess you got to find a restaurant in Silver Springs there for. Uh, She's so from you Southern open- California. Nar's gonna crush some waves, bro. Yeah, <laughs> Nar. <laughs> uh, great meeting you guys. Please keep in touch and let us know when you're in Raleigh, and uh, we'll get together. But for all of, all of you out there that are going to uh, Richmond, go to Soul Taco, go to Jufro, and then when they come to Raleigh, do the same, and you will eat and drink extremely merrily. Thanks for listening to the NCF&B Podcast. And if you've stuck with us this long, review us on iTunes, and remember, five stars are encouraged.